simple message this morning. Shepherds and wise men. Shepherds and wise men. Amen. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Amen. I'm going to, it's in my sermon notes, but I, I am going to share this with you all. I want you to listen to what I'm reading with this thought in mind that goes against what we've been taught all of our Christmas days. Jesus was about two years old when this happened. He had already been born. Uh, that star, which was, uh, uh, they say, it was most likely a comet that uh, Daniel had talked about in, in Babylon, that appeared when he was born. And it took them this long to get there. So with that in mind, all right, I'd love, we have our nice manger scene. My mom and dad gave that to us. Uh, and so my wife and I have donated it to the church. And uh, um, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat. So, But in the manger scene, you have the three wise men. No, but it looks nice. So, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word here this morning, God, for your anointing. Amen. Lord, I have felt the Holy Ghost all morning. God, I know, Lord, that you are here, that you are in our midst, God. Amen. That you inhabit those that lift you up. Amen. That those that praise you, Lord, you inhabit that. And, Lord, so we want to have a habitat of praise and worship. For your presence. Touch our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. Worship sometimes is about leaving things behind and bringing some things with you. Leaving things behind and bringing things uh, with you. And we focused on things this holiday season. But today uh, we're going to focus on shepherds and wise men. Shepherds and wise men. And the shepherds, they represent the Jewish people well because they were Jews. Uh, they were watching over sheep uh, uh, right outside of Jerusalem. 
And so they, they were Jewish people, uh, but the wise men were not. The wise men were from the east. Uh, the wise men were most likely from uh, what is today modern-day Iraq, uh, what is today modern-day Baghdad, believe it or not, uh, was in that time period about where Babylon was. And so many believe that these wise men were the astrologers uh, that were uh, descendants of the astrologers during Daniel's time with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Uh, and so it's important to realize that, uh, uh, that at this time of Christ's birth, you not only have the Jews represented, but you have the Gentiles as well. You have those who were not Jewish represented uh, there at the, at the coming of the Messiah. And it's important to realize that Jesus came to the Jewish people. Uh, he came to them as their Messiah. He came to them uh, uh, to be loved. He came to them to be worshipped. Uh, there's a lot of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. The first promise, it is called the, the protoevangelium. Protoevangelium, and that's Greek. It's two Greek words. The first Greek word is protos. It means first. And then the second word is evangelion, E-V-A-N-G-E-L-I-O-N. And that means good news. And so Genesis 3 and 15 is the, is the protoevangelium. It is the first good news. Adam and Eve have fallen. They're in the garden. They're about to get kicked out. They're going to be cursed. Uh, uh, sin is going to be passed down from generation to generation because of what they did. And in the midst of all this, the serpent is cursed as well. And then there's this promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise on you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Talking to the devil. Uh, so God is declaring that there is going to be a perpetual battle, a perpetual struggle against satanic forces and mankind. Satan is not on our side. He never has been. He wants to see us discouraged. He wants to see us down. He wants to see us depressed. He wants to see us uh, not living for God. And this battle, this perpetual struggle, started with the serpent and Eve. And it has continued, and this promise is that it will continue on for generations to generations to generations. Their seeds. The offspring of the woman was Cain, and then all of humanity at large. And then Christ, and those collectively in Christ. The offspring of Satan, of the devil, would include the demonic forces would include anyone in this world who is serving the kingdom of darkness. Uh, John chapter 8 calls them people who call the devil their father. And Satan would cripple mankind. The prophetic utterance is that he will, he will uh, bruise your heel. But the seed, Jesus Christ, would deliver the fatal blow. You may bruise mankind's heel, but there is a seed coming from Eve who's going to crush your head. Amen. And so this is the very first good news. 
Church, we're going to be attacked by the devil. He is going to do everything he can in his power to attack us. Mentally, physically, spiritually, he's going to do everything he can. But church, he loses in the end. Jesus has crushed his head. Jesus has crushed his head. Amen. Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 7 and 14 that Jesus would be born of a virgin from the house of David. Isaiah says that it will be a sign from God. Isaiah tells us that his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. The New Testament uh, in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke record the details involving this birth of Jesus Christ, born about 700 years after Isaiah. In Micah chapter 5, this is the prophecy Herod uh, was given. Uh, there, there is the revelation that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Messiah. And so it eliminates every other city and town throughout the world as a place in which the Messiah could be born. It narrows the possibility down to this little village just south of Jerusalem, not too far, just a, 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 a walk, really, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. What a glorious night for these shepherds. They're watching their flocks by night. An angel appears unto them and tells them of the birth of the Messiah. And their reaction is, let's go. Let's go. Let's leave these flock here. Amen. We've got to go find the Messiah, and we've got to go worship him. And meanwhile, a star appears. A miraculous star appears in the heaven. And some astrologers, church, we don't know how many. The Bible doesn't say. We, we like the three wise men. It sounds good because they're three gifts. But we do know that they came from afar. They came from a long ways away to worship this babe, this Christ, this anointed one. And so they came to the house of Mary and Joseph. Not the manger. They came to the house. And then when they left, Herod had all male babies from two years old and younger killed, hoping that Jesus would be in this bunch. Amen. You see, you get the impression that Jesus was one or two years old when the wise men finally got to him, right? And so while the shepherds left their flocks, the wise men brought their treasures. The shepherds left their flocks, and the wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The wise men traveled a long way, and they brought treasures. The shepherds didn't travel very far, but they didn't really bring anything with them. What the shepherds did and the wise men did is they left something behind and they brought something with them. They left something behind and they brought something with them. I think about these shepherds bringing, bringing nothing but themselves. Philippians 3 and 12, brethren, I do not... Regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but that this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. 
I press toward the prize. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. New American Standard. Uh, remember, church, Christ didn't save us in our sins. He saved us from our sins. Amen. When we're living for God, we've left things behind. Amen. What is worship? It's the adoration. It's the feeling of profound love. Uh, uh, it's, it's loving without question. And uh, 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 it's devotion. I love God. And our love for God is a manifestation of our worship to God. When you love God, you worship Him. It's a form of worship. In church, there is nothing more fulfilling than being in the presence of Jesus Christ. See, it's okay that the shepherds didn't bring anything because they're in the presence of Jesus Christ. They brought their love for him. Amen. You don't have to have much, church. Just love God. Amen. And worship him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It begins with the knowledge of the revelation of who you're worshiping. Amen. And that comes from the revelation of the word of God. We don't worship whom we do not know. That's what Paul said uh, at Mars Hill in Acts uh, 28 and 17, or 17 and 28. You worship who you do not know to the unknown God. We know who we worship. It is one of the key factors of true worship is knowing who you worship. Amen. The angel appears to the shepherds and tells them, the Messiah has been born, the Jesus is born. Hallelujah, come and worship him. And church, no doubt, whatever they had learned before this time, what had just been revealed to them eclipsed it all. It is, it is glorious. I've studied this before. I think it's worth repeating. Uh, a shepherds watching over the flocks by night is a strong indication that Jesus was born around the Passover. Because during the Passover, we, we know the story of the Passover. The, the, the lambs are slain, the blood is put on the doorposts, and they eat the, the lambs. And so in, in the book of Leviticus, uh, I believe it's called the Passat, uh, the Passover feast, uh, you had... Thousands and thousands and thousands of lambs that were being sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem because it was the Passover. I mean, church, if we were Jewish and we lived near Jerusalem, we every one of us would have a lamb that we'd want sacrificed at the temple for the Passover. You see what I'm saying? It was just part of, of their culture. It was part of who they were. And so... History says that during the Passover, they would purchase, the priests would purchase thousands of lambs and they would hire shepherds. And these flocks would have, excuse me, but would have a stench to them because they'd be in the thousands. This is, this is history. I'm not making this up. And so they would take these flocks of lambs and take them south of Jerusalem. Well, guess what's south of Jerusalem? Bethlehem. And so history says most likely that these flocks that the shepherds were watching over, 
They were the lambs that were getting ready to be sacrificed at the Passover. Hallelujah. Church, this will preach all day if you let it. And when the shepherds hear about Jesus, they leave the flocks because they realize that we don't need them anymore. We've got Jesus now. we got the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. And so the shepherds leave their tradition behind. The shepherds leave all their experience that has nothing to do with the Bible behind. Amen. And they get this new revelation from God and they go and they worship Jesus. You see, church, part of worship is leaving those things behind that have nothing to do with God. Tradition and past experience always have to give way to biblical truth. Always. To greater revelations. True Biblical worship, church, it satisfies our personalities. It set, we don't have to shop around anymore. I have found Jesus. I found him. Hallelujah. I leave it all behind. William Temple said this, made this masterful definition on worship. For worship is the submission of our nature to God. It is the quickening of our conscience by his holiness. It is the nourishment of mind with his truth. It is the purifying of imagination by his beauty. It is the opening of the heart to his love. And it is, it is the surrendering of our will to his purpose. So the, the shepherds were being summoned to a higher place of worship. The shepherds were being summoned to a higher uh, place of adoration than they had ever been summoned to before. And so they were impacted in such a mighty away by the heavenly multitude of hosts that they agreed we got to leave the flocks. we got to leave them behind because we got to go and worship. Amen. Church, if you want to come to Jesus, you got to leave some things behind. The principle of leaving things behind, church, is not new. This wasn't invented on the day Jesus was born when a man was in... A, a was desirous of being married. The Bible says he must leave his mother behind. If a woman wants to be married, the Bible says she, she leaves her home, leaving things behind. Could you imagine if you were married? This doesn't take much imagination in my life because my grandmother and grandfather had their mother live, live with them their whole lives. And my grandfather was miserable. He was a miserable old man. The Bible says, I'm not talking about, I'm not, I'm not talking about you got to move to the next town or even the next street. I'm just saying, you know, when you get married, you need to, you need to, you need to have your own place to live. Right? You don't want to have to share your bathroom with your husband and your dad. You don't want to share the dinner table every meal. Could you imagine sharing the dinner table in your bathroom and the, and the washer and dryer every day with your mom and dad? Not, that wouldn't be healthy. That's not a healthy marriage. You leave things behind, right? This isn't new. Abraham, leave your country behind. You're going to a place whose builder maker is God. Sometimes 
God calls on us to leave things behind. To show our worship and our love and our devotion to him. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Amen. I'm supposed to be first. Be sure that if you have other gods in your life, your job, your your successes, your beauty, your money, your entertainment, your family, your attitudes, your personality, be sure that God is first. Be sure he's first. Amen. Because he'll take care of the rest. But he's got to be first. In Matthew 19 and 16, a a story is told of a young man. He's rich. Amen. And he's coming to Jesus. And he refers to Jesus as the good master. You kind of get the impression that he's trying to let Jesus know, I know about you. I I know who you are. I know how smart you are. I've I've heard your teachings. I've learned from you. And the rich man says, what must I do? And the young man makes it clear, I've obeyed all your commandments. I've obeyed them all. And Jesus says, oh, great. Then all you need to do is sell everything you have and follow me. Sell it all. In church, he couldn't do it. You see, there are some things he could not leave behind. And it cost the man a relationship with Jesus that he was seeking. He was seeking this relationship with Jesus. But there were some things he couldn't leave behind. Church shepherds may be poor and they may be lowly and they may have nothing to bring. But I tell you, they, they, uh, just like us, there are things that they could leave behind. There are times that if our relationship with Jesus Christ is going to grow, is going to be fulfilled, is going to become strong, There are times, church, that we need fresh and new revelations, amen, to leave the old past. And the shepherds, the shepherds, this is who they were. This is what what they did. And so the shepherds left the flocks behind. Thank you, Lord. Now, they arrive empty-handed. The Lord, at least you you get the impression from the Bible, they they didn't bring anything with them. They brought their worship. But that's all about to change. A new precedent is about to be established. Because now the wise men show up. And now there's this there's this concept that we just don't leave things behind when we go to Jesus. That we bring something with us. To give him. So these wise men, they're not coming empty-handed. They, they're Gentiles. They're, they're going to show the New Testament worshipers that there's more to worship than just leaving the old behind. That there is something about worship when we bring it with us. We bring the gifts, amen, that we want to give Jesus, that we think he's worthy of. And it's funny that Matthew is the only, um, he's the only apostle who mentions the wise men. John and Mark they make no comment soever about the birth of Christ. Luke, he writes, he writes more about the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ than anyone. But he leaves this scene out. Only Matthew, this single brief uh, 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 glimpse of this, of this moment in time. And it's been speculated for centuries. It's raised questions. 
Who were these wise men? Who were they? Why were they visiting Mary and Joseph and Jesus? They brought three gifts. We know that. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we don't know there are three wise men. It could have been two. It only takes two to make, right? Singular and plural. It only takes two. It could have been 30. I know in the theological books I've read, it is thought that there was about 12 wise men and that the caravan was about 70 with the servants and people who took care of the animals, that there was about 70 in the caravan and about 12 wise men. I think, that, I think that's actually could be very accurate, but, but it doesn't tell us. It just tells us that there were wise men who bought three gifts, who saw a star, went to Herod, said, do you have any prophecies, you know, about where this king would be born? Yes, in Bethlehem, we're going to go there. They find him, they give the gifts to Jesus at his house, they leave a different way because a dream told them, don't stop by Herod again. And that's all we know, that's all we know. The wise men from the east come to Jerusalem. I don't have any doubt that 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 star showed up when he was born and they started to make their trip. But I think it's important that we note that the king wanted to know exactly when time when did that star appear? When did it appear? Why? Why would he want to know that? Perhaps to pinpoint the day Jesus was born. You know, maybe they looked at their watches. It appeared, you know, six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. I don't know. We just know that King Herod said, when did that star appear? And then his next action is to kill every baby boy two years old and younger. So you get the impression that it was about two years ago. I don't know, church. But the the important thing is, here's some other things. King Herod, he wasn't even Jewish. He was an Edomite. He he was from Esau. He had been appointed by the Roman Roman, uh, government to be king of Israel. And the wise men, they were pretty wise. Why? Because they didn't bring him gifts. Oh, boy, that's good-looking gold. Is that for me? No, that's for another king. Sorry, Herod. We got another king in mind for this frankincense, gold, and myrrh. We're sorry. You see, they go by the direction to the real king. They use God's word to find the real king. Micah 5 and 2. They, 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 they are told, they're warned by the Holy Ghost. Don't go back to that other king. He's not the real king. Have you ever wondered why did, why did they have the dream not to go back by Herod? I mean, it could have been so they wouldn't have to tell Herod, you know, the address, the street address of Jesus. But it could have also been that the Holy Ghost was saying, hey, you found the king. No need to go back by a fake king. He's not even a king. He's not even a Jew. You've found the king. You've given the king the gifts. No need to go find a false king. Amen. Church, when we begin to see Jesus more and more clearly, we understand that there's nothing else we need to turn to to pay homage to. Jesus deserves it all. Amen. There's so many false kings out there, but Jesus deserves our praise. He deserves our adoration. 
Notice Matthew 2 and 11, when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and they represented the character of the life of Jesus Christ. You've heard this uh, a million times. Gold represents his royalty. He was the king of kings. He wasn't just king of the Jews. He was the king of kings. And the wise men recognized this. They knew who he was. Forget Herod. This gold belongs to him. They brought him frankincense, which was an aroma. It was an incense. It was a, a, a type of his divinity. They brought him gifts. They recognized that he, he was a priest that would offer himself as a sacrifice. He was God in the flesh. He was the Almighty. He was Emmanuel with us. He was Jehovah my Savior. And the, these wise men gave him frankincense because it represented his divinity. Hallelujah. And then they brought him myrrh, sadly. Because myrrh, that was literally a prophecy to Joseph and Mary that they would be burying Jesus. Because myrrh was a perfume used for embalming. So myrrh represented the suffering of Jesus Christ, his humanity. So you have his kingship, you have his deity, you have his humanity, all in three gifts. Let's stand this morning. The wise men church, they worshiped based on the God-given revelation of who he was. They worshiped the one who was king. They worshiped the one who was God. They worshiped the one who would be sacrificed for us all. What a lesson to learn from the wise men. Church, today we are bringing literal gifts to him. I do ask that you bring something for Christmas for Christ. But today we haven't wrapped up a box of, of money, you know, and here you go, Jesus. But church, think about your life, how good he's been to you. The rest of your life, make him the true king. Do everything in your life based on his purpose and on, on his will. We bring him our desires. Not my will, Lord. God, I don't want to live a life that just is so I can be happy. I want to live a life that makes you happy, God. Church, you can bring your love to God. Because when you love God, you're worshiping him. I love you, Lord. You can bring yourself to God. We can bring our faith in his system. I have faith in this system. I do. I believe it's right. Amen. Somebody... Uh, was asking me about uh, 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 offering. You know, why do you give offering? I said, well, I give offering because I love God and I want to give back to Him. But I also give offering because, you know, it says to give offering. Right? It says to. And so so I do. I believe I believe in the principles of the Bible. I believe in, in the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of sins, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The gathering together, amen, of every waking up every morning and saying, I'm going to live for God today. I believe in all of these things. I believe in making him my Lord and, and Christ because his word says to. I believe in it. So church, at this Christmas time, we're, we're saying we have faith in his principles. And you know what else I have faith in? I have faith in, in my future. Amen. I believe that we are going in the rapture. Amen. I believe that we're going to go up. Hallelujah. 
that we are going to spend an eternity at the throne of the King of Kings. Amen. So church, bring your faith. Bring your faith and your obedience. Robert McQuilkin, president of Columbia International University in, in Columbia, South Carolina, wrote this. Life was heavy. My dearest friend and intimate companion, my delightful wife, Muriel, was slipping away one painful loss at a time, Alzheimer's. And just as the full impact that was taking place was hitting our home, our eldest son, Bob, was killed in a driving, in a diving accident. Two years later, I had to leave my job just to take care of my wife. He said, I was numb. I wasn't bitter. I wasn't angry. Why should I be? We live in a broken world. Broken things happen in a broken world. He said, but my passion for God had evaporated, and it left a a, a resin of resignation, a residue of resignation, where there used to be a vibrance of faith that God could do all things. Then he said, I knew I was in deep trouble. And he said, "I, I had been taught that there's only really one thing you do when you're in this kind of situation. And he said, I went to a mountain hideaway, and I prayed and fasted. And I just spent time alone with God. And he said, it took me about 24 to 48 hours to shake free of the preoccupation of my own life. That's powerful. It took me 24 to 48 hours to shake myself free of the preoccupation of my own life and to focus on the excellence of God. And then love was rekindled. Powerful church. What can you bring God this morning? You may not have anything. You can bring him in adoration like you've never adored him before. He came to where we were at. He saved us. It's worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Leave behind. Leave behind malice. Leave behind sin. There's nothing new I'm preaching here. Leave behind doubt and fear. Leave behind bitterness, church. Christmas isn't for bitterness. It's for joy and praise. It's, 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 It's to stop and say, I love you, Lord. You've been so good to me. Amen. Let's pray before we sing one last song. Thank you, God, for this season. Thank you, Lord, for these lessons.